We are in week eight of a 10-week series in the book of Ecclesiastes. And where we're diving in today, Solomon is going to continue some of his thoughts on living with wisdom. And let me just pre-apologize. Um, I had a tickle in my throat. I had a cold a, you know, a week ago, and I got this residual tickle. And so I've got, I struggled at the end of last service. So I've got some tea and some water and a cough drop, all handy. So um, I'll try to make it a little easier on you guys here uh, today. But Solomon is going to tell us some things about wisdom. And what we've seen as we've gone through the book of Ecclesiastes is that uh, Solomon says quite a bit. And part of what he says is, hey, being wise is better than being a fool. True, we would say, right? Being wise is, is better than being a fool. That wisdom, actually, wisdom is a gift from God. But wisdom has its limits in life. There's many things in life that only God knows. Have you noticed sometimes life feels random? Have you noticed there's unexplainable things in life? There's tragedies we don't understand. Wisdom, actually, um, there's some things only God knows. Wisdom has its limits, and ultimately, we see that neither the wise person nor the fool escape the end of life. And neither can take any stuff with them when they go. Solomon's kind of built this case. And so here's what he's trying to get us to. He says, hey, the big payoff of what wisdom will do in us if we allow it to is it's going to teach us to live life backward. That's the series title. To start with the end in mind. To understand that we are finite. And if we really can wrap our minds around that, it's actually, it's counterintuitive, but what it's going to do is it's going to help us understand how to really live with freedom and peace and joy and purpose in life. It's going to show us, if we can learn to do this, what matters most. And so that brings us to what we're going to talk about today. And Something I get in trouble for all the time in my life is zoning out and not paying attention when my wife talks to me. Any other dudes want to like moment of honesty? Um, and, and she'll say something and she'll be like, you didn't hear anything I just said. Be, and what do we do, guys? We double down, right? We're like, no, uh, you, you said you want a, a, a new fur coat from Mink? She's like, no, I said it would be nice for you to fix the sink. Oh, that's what I meant, right? Lack of attention to important things in life gets us into all kinds of trouble. Have you ever driven somewhere and your mind was so focused on something else, so preoccupied that you got to where you're going, you realize you don't remember a bit of the journey? And you're like, whoa, that was a little scary. You realize your mind was in somewhere else. When I was going into my sophomore year, we did this amazing bike trip. It was a, with our youth group, a 500-mile round trip. We went down to Lake Powell, three days down, camped out. And then once we got there, we camped out like in that nasty red sand on the, on the shores when there used to be um, water in Lake Powell and you could camp at height. Um, we were there. We camped out for three days and water skied and had fun. And uh, then three days, we rode our bikes back. And on the very last day riding back, I had a friend, his name's Caleb. And he was, man, he was the best bike, bike rider on the trip. He was amazing. And he was leading the pack. And when you're cycling, uh, we do this thing called drafting, if you've ever done that, where you've got the leader of the pack, and then you've got guys like two inches off their, their tire. 
and it's because they're they're making the way and you get in that draft and it helps everybody else the three or four guys behind them you don't have to work as hard and so Caleb's like dominating he's leading the pack he's up front and as they're riding back there's this stretch from Green River all the way back uh, to Grand Junction. There's this one stretch that's just like straight for miles. And you can see way out there. And so way out there in the horizon is this little car, um, this car parked on the side of the road. And Caleb's just riding, 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 focused. He's leading the pack. And um, he keeps riding. And all of a sudden, he plows into the back of this parked car on the side of the highway that you could see for miles. And you're laughing right now, but it wasn't funny at the time, right? A bunch of years later, it's kind of funny. At the time, I mean, he went flying over the, over the hood. He totally crunched his bike. Uh, the guy behind him had to go to the hospital and get stitches. It, it was not a good last day of the bike trip. And here's what happened. It wasn't that he wasn't paying attention. He actually was. He was just so hyper-focused on, on grinding out another turn of the pedals, of staying at the front of the pack, that he missed something very crucial along the way, <laughs> namely a parked car on the side of the road. Little detail, important one. And here's the principle Solomon's going to teach us today. I want you to pay attention I want you to pay attention to what matters most in life because if you do, it will help you live life wisely with less regrets. If there's one thing Ecclesiastes has taught us as we've gone through, it's that life is random and there's, there's some regrets that you can't avoid. There's pain in life that you can't avoid. There's mysteries and enough of that stuff comes your way. Um, it would be wise to avoid the pain you can't avoid. And a lot of the Proverbs are about that. If you go back and read the book of Proverbs, that Solomon also wrote a bunch of those. And it's wisdom in the Proverbs there. We call them principles, not promises. And here's what that means, that they're principles for how to live a life according to the way the world actually works. So being wise isn't just being smart. It's learning to take, understand from God how the world really works and then apply that in your life. And their principles. Now, that doesn't mean you may not have a kid that you raise up in the right way and they go off the rails. That's a principle. People still have to make their own choices. It doesn't mean that uh, you can't live your life very wisely and get hit by a bus. But what it does mean is generally when you live your life according to wisdom, when you pay attention to the things that matter most, when you apply wisdom to your life, it will help you live a life with less avoidable regrets. And I think that's a good thing. See, because people don't plan to derail their lives. They typically just don't plan not to. I mean, nobody goes into a marriage thinking, like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to ignore my wife, and, and, you know, three years from now, she doesn't want to have anything to do with me. Nobody has kids and thinks, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be a workaholic and work so many hours. I'm going to dominate my field, but my kids don't ever want to speak to me when they get out of the house. You don't do that. Nobody says, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to have so much stress and anxiety in my life that I'm going to, by the time I'm in my 40s, send myself to the hospital. Oh, you just don't plan not to it's not that you're not paying attention to something. It's that you're not paying attention to some of 
the right things. We started the series out by showing you a graphic that kind of helped us um, think of life around here. And what we've noticed in, in the patterns of life are there's often, oftentimes the times of regret, the, the biggest regret in life are the times of life when you quit paying attention to what we know matters most, when you lose a sense of purpose in your life and um, in seasons where it's like, I'm going to focus on, on me in this season. Maybe you lose sight of spiritual disciplines, uh, church community, or that close fellowship, those relationships that kept you accountable and encouraged you to stay close to Jesus. And we've noticed that there's periods of life, there's times of life where people tend to lose sight of that and tend to drift. And over the next two weeks, as we look at chapters 10 and 11, Solomon is going to give us some wise principles to live our lives by. Like these are... um, just wise principles and observations. And let me just say, especially if you're a young person in the room, um, if you will actually listen to this and, and apply this in your life, you will be able to probably avoid a lot of avoidable regret. Can somebody a little older in the room that's maybe experienced that say amen? And see, this is what Solomon's saying is, hey, late in my life, learn from me. Don't make the same mistakes that I did. You don't have to learn everything the hard way. Choose to learn wisdom. And so in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 10, here's what Solomon says. Here's how he starts. Dead flies. I like the chapter already. (laughs) Here he goes. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he's a fool. You can see him coming. And so Solomon starts out with this little, like, proverbial saying here, and he says, hey, perfumer, this is a skilled art in the ancient world. And he says, hey, you may have the the best perfumer, great at his you know, his craft or her craft and has this wonderful, sweet-smelling perfume, but you get a couple of dead flies in there, and all you got is a can of Axe on a teenager. It's like, you. <laughs> it, it, it ruins it, right? Just a little bit of folly can, can destroy a life of wisdom. It can destroy a legacy of wisdom. Some of you know someone like that. And then he, then he goes on to this thing about, you know, a wise man's heart inclines him to the right, a fool's heart to the left. And let me just say, I'm surprised that um, a political party hasn't seized on this and put it on all of our, like, campaign slogans. But just if you're tempted to go there, uh, let me just say, this is a couple of thousand years before we ever started thinking of politics in these kinds of terms. It's not what he's talking about. Here's what he's talking about. In, in ancient Israel, the right was seen, the right hand was seen as, uh, as the place of strength, of skill, of favor, and of blessing. Even, even in Scripture, we're to see Jesus seated at the right hand of God the Father as he ascends back to the Father, right? David says, he's at my right hand, I'll not be shaken. The left hand was considered a place of, of weakness, which is why I beaten somebody. Anybody remember Princess Bride, where he was like, and he says, "I'm. Why are you smiling? Because I know something you don't know. I'm not left-handed." And he switches hands and beats him. Um, anybody remember that movie? 
That was a great scene. And so here's what I want you to pay attention to. And I've actually got six little observations as we go through this chapter that are things that I think you need to pay attention to that I see in this text that Solomon would say, you would be wise to pay attention to this in your life. You can avoid some pain and regret if you do. And the first thing is this, pay attention to the small things. See, small things in life have the potential to derail your life. That car miles away when it first appeared was this tiny, small little thing in the distance. No big deal, right? But when you're slamming into it, all of a sudden that small thing became a big thing. This, I think, works itself out in many practical ways of life. Uh, uh, listen up, young drivers, check the oil. Check the oil. I learned this the hard way <laughs> after I blew up an engine in, in uh, one of the first cars I drove. Check the oil. It's very important, but it also applies to all of life. What does check the oil mean in your life? Maybe it's a health thing. Maybe it's a financial thing, something you just keep ignoring, keep pretending it doesn't matter. Maybe it's a relationship thing or a negativity thing, and before you know it, this thing this thing grows, and it, and it has the potential of, of destroying your life, being a major destructive force in your life. When you ignore small things in your life, they become big things and oftentimes become the source of much avoidable pain in life. Often becomes the things that stop someone from finishing well. You know, starting well is great in life. Finishing well is vital as well is why the Apostle Paul was able to say, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I didn't let small, dumb, little things take me off the course of God's purpose for my life. Pay attention to the small things in your life because they may come around and be the big thing that ends up overshadowing your legacy in life. Now, the second thing we're going to see in verses 4 through 10 and I'm going to tease it out a little as we go and, 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 and uh, tell you when we get to the end here. But here's, here's what he says. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place. For calmness will lay great offenses to, to rest. Calmness. Being cautious. Being calm. Thinking carefully about your life. See, and here's what happens. So many of us live in reaction mode all the time. And we amp up, and something little goes wrong, and we amp up. Uh, one of the first things my dad taught me on driving, he took me out years and years ago to Redlands Middle School, the parking lot, after a snowstorm. And, and he taught me about when you start to slide a little bit, how you gently pull yourself out of, a, out of a curve. If you're from California and just moved here, the rest of us would really like it if you learned this. Um, <laughs> You've never driven on snow and ice. This is a really poor. Because what happens is you, you end up sliding, and what do we naturally do? We overcorrect, right? Before you know it, you're off the side of the road. When all that you need is a small correction, keeping your heart calm. It's easy to turn a crisis in your life into a catastrophe. And when you don't overcorrect, when you're cautious and you make small corrections, it helps. Um, he goes on, verse 5. He says, there is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich, or think noble people, uh, sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. And so he reminds us that life isn't fair. 
Life doesn't always go according to the principles that it should. Like there's things you can usually predict in life, but it doesn't always go that way. And it isn't fair, and the good don't always have influence, and the bad sometimes live to a ripe old age, while the, while the good die young. And because of the nature of life itself, you need to live with care. Another way to say that is be careful, full of care. When you think about life, he goes on. He says this in verse 8. He who who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. Now, this guy is just a guy who had a bad day, right? This is like Charlie Brown's life verse. Wah, wah, wah. Everything always goes wrong. But he's illustrating this thing like, there's a, there's a very real danger in life that actually the good thing you pursue, if you're not careful, will come back and, and hurt you, right? If you dig a pit, you're digging a well, and you don't put a, take the time to put a fence around it. Why? Because otherwise you might slip and fall into it. Put up some caution tape, right? Um, if, uh, if you're breaking through a wall, you got a demolition project so you can add a new addition onto your house and you got a rock wall, uh, you might want to be a little cautious there's not a snake in there. Good advice for hiking on the monument too. If you're sticking your hand in a hole, be, be, be careful the way you approach life because life is unpredictable. Um, when you quarry stones, be a little extra cautious. Why? Because they're heavy and they can hurt. I've built some rock walls out of stones. I can attest to this. It's easy to smash a finger or scrape yourself. He who splits logs, like you're splitting logs, there's, a, there's an inherent danger there. I've had some close calls chopping on some logs. And here's what he's saying. Don't stop pursuing these things in life. Like you got to take risks. That's just the nature of life. But you can do it in a reckless manner or you can do it in a smart and a cautious manner. Take care the way you approach life. Live with care. Don't just charge into it. Know when to be cautious. Apply wisdom. He goes on in verse 10. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. True. And here's what he's saying. I want you to sharpen your skills in life. Like part of living with with care is realizing when it's wise to pull back and sharpen your skills, to work hard at something, but don't just work hard. I want you to work smart. And sometimes working smart feels like it's not like you're making as much progress as fast as the person over here, but in the long run, you do better. I remember I was up cutting a bunch of logs up on, up on Grand Mesa, and I was, had this old chainsaw, and it just it kept getting harder and harder, and I was exerting so much effort and exhaustion. And then I swapped out, and I put a brand new blade on that chainsaw. <laughs> it's like night and day. It's like butter. Zip, zip, zip. And I learned a very important lesson, that even though it's a pain to sharpen that chainsaw blade, you will save yourself a lot of heartache and a lot of hard painful labor. If you do, you'll end up being further in the long run and arrive not so depleted and exhausted. It's worth it. Take time to sharpen your skills. Don't be afraid to invest time in building skill in life. See, we have this sort of microwave notion because you can learn anything you want to learn on YouTube University, can't you? 
I mean, pop on. I've learned some great stuff on how to do some cool projects. But there's a difference between knowing how to do something. Go watch some YouTube videos on playing the guitar and, and then see how long it takes you to actually get that one going. I read this book by Malcolm Gladwell called The Outliers, where he looks at these outliers, these people that were overnight successes in their field. Like uh, He talks about the Beatles. He talks about Bill Gates. Uh, and, and what he realizes, what he came to realize as he looked at these stories is, by and large, none of them um, were actually overnight successes. They, on average, had invested 10,000 hours into their skill or their craft in mastering it before the world looked up and went, wow, look at them. They're an overnight success. Overnight success, there were just 10,000 hours that nobody saw. And a lot of life is like that. Don't think that you can just hit a button and be great at something. you got to actually choose something, invest in a skill that's going to benefit other people and serve other people, and then become, the, become great at it. And how do you do that? Practice. you got to put in the reps. you got to work hard and be diligent at it. And sometimes that means you're not going to feel like you're going very far at first, but you got to stick with it. And be diligent. Live life with care. Live life with caution. And here's, here's, here's the key in this. Um, you know that random verse about the snake charmer? You're like, well, that's kind of weird and random. It's actually the key to this little section. Live with care. Here's the key. Yeah, you have to. What do you have to do with wisdom? Here's what he's saying. The snake charmer might have the skill and the wisdom and know how to charm the snake, but if he doesn't apply that wisdom, he's just a dead guy with a flute. And what good is a dead guy with a flute? Right? You have to apply wisdom. Apply your knowledge. That's really, when you want to dig down to what wisdom is, it's, it's truth applied to life. Understanding the way the world really works and then applying it to your life. You have to use wisdom. That's why Jesus says, You want to know who the wise person is? Not just the one who hears my words, the one who actually does them. James says, He he who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it to him, it's sin. It's not just knowing the right thing. That's why Jesus looks at the Pharisees and says, Hey, you guys search the scriptures like you know the Bible better than anybody. You read the Bible. Is that a good thing? Yeah, that's a good thing. But you haven't let it read you. You haven't aligned your life, so you refuse to come to me and receive life, and the whole thing's been written about me. It's not enough just to gain knowledge and constantly be learning stuff and going to Bible study after Bible study. You actually have to ask yourself, are you allowing Scripture to influence the way you live? Are you aligning your life with wisdom? Let it read you. Let it read you. Now, the third thing we're going to see in verses 12 through 14, and here's, here's how it goes. The words of a wise man, the words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of his, that's a funny word picture if you think about it. Anyway, <laughs> the beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. It starts bad, goes worse. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? Here's the third thing, if you want to write this down, is this. You have to pay attention to your words. See, what is the fool doing? He says, no man knows. It. He is talking about a bunch of stuff he doesn't know. 
pretending like he knows everything and talking about it. Have you noticed in our culture, there's this pressure to always have a hot take on everything? I mean, half of YouTube, you're like, you turn something on, you watch it, and you're like, why am I watching this guy? He has like 30 followers. And then he goes on, and you're like, I don't really know. I'm going to shut this off. Often, it's easy to pose. It's easy to pretend we know a lot of stuff. And the pressure is always, with all this information coming in, to have an opinion on everything. And part of being wise is to um, hold your opinion. You know, when you, when you, when you, when you, Talk about stuff that you don't know and understand. Not only do you ruin your credibility on the stuff you, you don't know, which is obvious to everyone, you destroy your credibility on what you do know because everybody can see you're a poser. You would be best, if you want to be wise, to learn the phrase, I don't know. I don't know. You know, it's okay to say, I don't know, but I'll get back to you on that one. What's your hot take on this? What do you think about this? What do you think about this leader? What do you think about this? you know, theology thing. It's like, I don't know. I don't know the context. I don't know the background. I don't, I don't know all about it. I'm not going to just come out. I don't have to have an opinion on everything. Pay attention to your words. Proverbs says, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. <laughs> I mean, that's not real hard. All you got to do is learn to keep your mouth shut and you get a bunch of points right off the top. You got to listen, listen to others. You know what? Part of wisdom is learning to listen to other people who have been down the road a little bit and learning from their wisdom instead of having to learn from the school of hard knocks yourself. That's a huge part of wisdom. James says it this way. He says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. This is a very often quoted scripture in my house. We have kids. It should be, if you have kids, it should be too. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. See, if you don't learn to control your tongue, if you don't learn to control your words, you will damage and destroy relationships. Quick show of hands. How many of you have a relationship somewhere in your life or in your immediate family that has been greatly damaged because of some words? A lot of us. James says the tongue is a fire a world of unrighteousness staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the image of God. From the same mouth can blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. See, it's so easy to begin cutting others down with our words to begin critiquing others in a way that's slandering them or gossiping about them. You know, the problem with gossip, it's not just a sin. It's also very unwise. Proverbs says that gossip separates close friends. And here's what happens, whether you realize it or not. If you're a person who's prone to always be gossiping about other people, what your friends are thinking is, I wonder what they're saying about me behind my back. If you don't learn to control it, it's going to damage your relationship. A great thing to ask yourself before you open your mouth are three questions. Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? Is it true? Like, have I actually, do I actually know this is true, or am I just sharing some hot take that I heard on YouTube about such and such leader or such and such person or such and such movement or whatever? 
I don't really know, actually. I better keep my mouth shut. Is it kind? Like, is this helpful? Is it kind? Is it necessary? Would it be better off just not to share this in this moment? Would it be better for relationships? Would it be better for the kingdom of God? So pay attention to your words. Pay attention to your words. Now, in the next couple of verses, we'll see how paying attention to something different, your purpose in life is critical. See, because Caleb, remember Caleb, my friend, as he is riding home, he's grinding it out. He's turning the pedals. He's focused on being at the front of the pack. In the midst of it, he lost sight of the purpose, the greater purpose, didn't he? It's the last day of the ride. What was the point? Get home in one piece. He lost sight of it. In the midst of being so focused on other things. And here's what verse 15 says, and this is a little bit trickier, but I'm going to tease this out as we go. It says this, For the toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your child is a, or when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility and your princes feast at the proper time, for strength and not for drunkenness. And here's the fourth thing that I think you need to pay attention to is this, your sense of purpose. Your sense of purpose. See, so he starts out, he talks about the fool who does not know his way to the city. What's the, what's the idea behind this? He's directionless. The fool lacks purpose in life. He's directionless. He doesn't even know the way to the city. And then you have this, what, the child king. And the child king, man, he just came to power and got riches and wealth, but there is no, like, greater sense of purpose or trajectory in his life. And so what does he do? He just blows it. He says, hey, come on up. Let's fire up the margarita machine at 8 a.m. Party it up. Wasting away in Margaritaville. Should not be a life anthem for anyone. He's like, come on, let's do it. There's no greater sense of purpose, but the, the son of nobility, from his, from his early years, he's, he knows that you have a purpose, you have a destiny, you have a calling to serve others, to lead, right? And so it says, the princes feast at the proper time for strength, not for drunkenness. They know what life's all about. They have a sense of purpose. And they arrange their life in order to facilitate the purpose in life. Here's what Peter says about your purpose if you're a follower of Jesus. And if you're not yet, this is what you're invited into by trusting Jesus and what he did for you when he died and rose again, placing your full trust in it. You're invited into this. Here's what he says. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. You have a calling. God has a purpose for your life. Your life is to be lived for him. It's not just about getting up and, and doing whatever you do to make it through the day and focusing on all the distractions and getting more and being ahead and leading the pack. No. Keep your sense of purpose in front of you. If you struggle with this, one of the best things you can do is to print out the Lord's Prayer, put it somewhere you can see it, on a mirror somewhere, on your lock screen on your phone or wherever. Print it out and, and pray this every day meaningfully, purposefully. Our Father in heaven. Oh, yeah, it's about you, isn't it? Holy is your name. I'm not the star of the show. You are. 
This whole thing's about you. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Oh, yeah. That's how my life fits into the bigger purpose. And it talks about forgiveness and, and our needs, our daily bread, but it sets it all in the context of the greater purpose of life. Pay attention to your sense of purpose. Because only when you get this right does this next one, does this next one come in to proper focus. Here's what it says, verse 18. Through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. I had to look that one up, indolence. means the avoidance of activity or exertion. So if your mama calls you lazy, just say, no, mom, I'm just indolent. Same thing, kind of. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life. And money answers everything. What? Wait a minute. What, Solomon? Didn't you just start out this whole thing saying, I got all the money and it didn't do anything? Yeah, don't take this out of context. Remember, when you're reading the Bible, you interpret vaguer scriptures by larger scriptures, okay? And so I'm going to tell you, get to this in just a second because it's important. But here's what I want you to pay attention to. The fifth thing that I think you really have to pay attention to and ask this question frequently in your life is this. What is the wise thing for you right now? Or put me in there. What is the wise thing for me right now? And this is such a clarifying question because here's the truth. We've all been given a limited amount of three T's, of time, of talent. You've been given certain giftings and abilities that you do really well in life, and treasure. Time, talent, treasure. We've all been given some. And the truth that Scripture teaches is they actually belong to God, and we just manage these throughout our life. We manage them. And one day we give an account for them. And so many times you can talk yourself into all kinds of things in life because you're like, well, I don't really think it's a sin. The Bible doesn't really say it's wrong. But this is a clarifying question because at different times and seasons of your life, it really helps you understand what a wise choice is. Because it may be that when you're 18, um, what a wise choice is looks very different than, um, you know, when you're approaching retirement, right? We just know that. Like how you approach life looks very different. When, when you're in those early parenting years and you've got kids and it's all just like hands-on, what's wise in that season might look a little different than when you're an empty nester. How you invest your resources, how you invest your money. Like, see, here's the interesting thing about this. So we see this, like, um, through sloth, the roof sinks in, indolence, the house leaks. There's a time and a season where the wisest thing to do is fix the roof. Your roof's leaking? Put the $5,000 vacation on hold and fix the roof. That's wisdom, right? There's, there's a time in life where you, you look at your family and the family situation, and you're like, how should I invest my time and energy? I got this great promotion opportunity that came up at work, but it's going to require me to travel 30 weekends out of the year and be gone. And I have little kids in the house. Is it worth the extra 20000 Yeah, it'd be nice to have a little extra margin. But what matters most? And see, it's not right or wrong. It's a great opportunity. You could take that. And it's like, I didn't sin. God provided this opportunity. You can talk yourself into it, but when you start asking what's wise, all of a sudden it becomes clear. No, actually what matters most to me is I want to get to the end of this, and and I don't care if i got a huge bank account. I want an intact family. I want my kids to want to come home. See, it begins to clarify some of these things. 
At this season in my life, is it smart to go sign up for that credit card they're offering me on the college campus? Let me just say the answer is no. I can just tell you that one, okay? Because they're not doing it for your benefit. They want, they're trying to get you hooked. In fact, one of the wisest things you can do in your life is to stay out of or get out of dumb consumer debt. Go buy Dave Ramsey's book, Total Money Makeover, and just read it and start applying those things to your life. Once you get, you know, like out of debt and, and figure out like your emergency fund and get on a good path, then if you want to differ with Ramsey, I do, on some investment stuff, great. But if you do what he says, you're going to be, you're going to be light years ahead when it comes to wisdom. Start working the plan. Start working the plan. While you're young, if you get this while you're, while you're young, like if you're young married, um, what's wise in the life? Is it wise to, to keep kicking that small thing that can down the road of your life insurance policy? Ecclesiastes would say, you don't know how long you have. You love your wife. You love your kids. Come on, man. Get that thing in place. It's not that hard. Just do it. See, the thing about money, money answers everything. What is an answer? It's a tool, isn't it? Money is neutral in and of itself. It's just a tool. But here's what we know about money. When pursued as an end in itself, it will never satisfy you. Solomon told us that. He who loves money will never be satisfied by money. In fact, we see that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. If you love money, if it's got a grip of your heart, it's going to drive you to do things that will destroy the things that actually matter most in life. And so when it comes to your resources, when it comes to your time, your talent, and your treasure, it reveals where, a lot about where your heart is. And what's wise in life at all stages of life is to live life with open hands. To not be so consumed by stuff and more that, you, that you, you're always just more, more, more if I can get more. Remember that few weeks, multiple weeks ago, one hand open is better than two hands clenched, tightly clenched. That there's an open-handedness that you understand. And here, if you're a follower of Jesus, you understand that actually Jesus says there's a way you can invest your time, your talent, and your treasure that goes beyond just this life. See, Solomon tells us we can't take any of it with us. We know that. Jesus says, but there is a way you can invest now, and it's by giving of your life and investing in the kingdom of God, by prioritizing, by living open-handed, by putting him first. And there's a way you can invest now that actually there's something to show for it in eternity. That's what Jesus says. So we be open-handed. But part of that, I think, is even like your relationship. You're like, okay, I got that one dialed in. I think I'm pretty good on the generosity thing. But still, it's got a hold of you. Guess what? Maybe the best thing you can do in this season when you ask what wisdom is, is to buy a really big kitchen table. Why? Because money's a tool. Maybe you should use it to build some relationships. Maybe instead of a bigger truck or fancier motorcycle, like take your family and do something amazing that you'll talk about for the rest of your life. I, I am so happy over the years that I chose to drive old cars and instead puts the money into some great experiences. Looking back, I wouldn't trade any of that for a nicer car that came with a really high car payment that meant I couldn't go do that. Get out of debt. Work hard at it. That may be the, the thing you need to do in this season 
Be wise, plan for it, but be open-handed. Invest in some relationships. Invest first in eternity. Spend your life on something that will really count in the end. Now, next week, Solomon is going to follow up this um, advice with some investment advice, bigger in life in general, and also he's going to talk to young people about how you should live, how you should embrace life. I think you're going to really like it, so don't miss next week, chapter 11, okay? And don't read ahead. That's cheating. Just kidding. You can do that. You can always read ahead in the Bible. All right, one more verse in chapter 10. Here's what it says. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. Anybody ever heard the phrase, the little birdie told me? This is where it comes from, right here. And as I read this one, I'm like, well, I was really tempted just to throw back the watch your words one, because I think it's probably a big deal for a lot of people. But I thought, what I saw is I think there's a deeper thing going on here. And Solomon's saying, I want you to pay attention to what's going on in your heart. Because what does the scripture say? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It starts in here. It starts as a thought before it comes out. And if there's that bitterness, if there's that jealousy, if there's that envy inside, that's driving a lot of the destructive words that are coming out of your mouth. What's going on in your heart? James says this about wisdom and about the heart. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false with the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. So you're a smart guy. Great, but you got all this stuff going on you're not dealing with. Don't, don't say that that's somehow wisdom from God. He says this, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And as we close, I'm going to put these, all these things back up on the screen, these observations, these things you need to pay attention to. You know what happens? If, if you don't pay attention to the right things in life, maybe you're busting it. Maybe you're leading the pack. But if you're not paying attention to the things that matter most, if you're not keeping your head up and looking, looking forward, thinking of living life backward with the end in mind, you're going to run the risk of ending up flat on your back, on the pavement, with major regrets in life. You got to pay attention to these things if you want to live wisely. What is it for you? Maybe it's the small things. Maybe there's something in your life you know you've been neglecting. And you keep throwing, I need to take action on this. You know, eh, not this week. And week turns into a year, turns into a decade. Maybe there's an area of your life that you know you need to take more care in. You need to exert yourself, but you need to work smarter. You need to hone some skills in your life. You've been a little too reckless in an area, and you need to apply wisdom 
You need to actually take what you know and, and do it. You've been putting it off. Maybe it's your words and it's this gossip thing and you've been damaging relationships and you constantly found yourself negative and cutting other people down. Ask God to help. Maybe it's your sense of purpose. You just realize, I've just been drifting. Life's been all about me. And because of that, I haven't had any direction in my life. He's inviting you into purpose, into restoring that calling in your life. Maybe it's a question of are you, what's wise for you right now? Are you investing your time, your energy, your talents wisely for the season of life you're in? Maybe that means you need to be focused more on eternity. Maybe that means you actually need to do some things, enjoy life a little bit. Quit being so stingy. And then what's going on in your heart? If you recognize there's things in your heart that are driving some of these things, putting a wedge between you and God and others, it's allowing him to deal with it, saying, Holy Spirit, I can't do this on on my own, but I need you to change my heart. Here's what my challenge is this week for you. Would you just pick one? And if there's one of them as we were going through this that it just felt like a gut punch, there's a good chance that was the Holy Spirit. Say, pay attention to this one. Pay attention. Just pick one. And ask God, what do you want me to do with this? And then take the step that he shows you. Be responsive to his spirit. Would you stand? As we close, I just want to say, I know when, when we do a talk like this in a, in a room this size, there's some people that's like, I wish I would have got this 20 years ago. I wish I would have got it. And you've already got some major regrets. Let me just say this. We serve a God who specializes in resurrection. Who can take a situation and bring resurrection to that. And so what do you do? You get up today. You receive forgiveness from him. And you walk towards wisdom. If you're not following him, you say, I'm going to follow you with my life. I believe in you and I receive what the forgiveness you give. Would you do a resurrection, bring life to me within? And, you know, it doesn't mean it's always going to be easy or everything's going to be fixed. There, there may be some pain to continue walking through because that's life and that's consequence. But in the midst of that, he can give you a hope and a joy and a purpose and a peace. And he can... Work it for good and restore what the locusts have eaten. Others, maybe it's just that thing of saying, okay, God, (laughs) I have not been enjoying my life or you. Help me to receive life as a gift from you. Restore in me that joy and that that zeal for life again for you. I'm going to pray over you. Father, thank you for my friends. Lord, I just ask that, um, that you would speak and move in their hearts. That you would help them know exactly the step you're calling them to take. And then give them the courage to do it. And for that person who's not yet responded to you, would they give their lives to you? Receive your forgiveness. And walk forward with you as the Lord of their life and their purpose in life. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.